the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, and I, I must comment to Pastor Lori's remarks there that if you indeed are led into that home that is cooking spaghetti <laughs> and pasta or spaghetti and uh, uh, garlic bread, it's probably the just the leading, the gentle leading of the Holy Spirit. It's good discernment. <laughs> Spoken like a true Italian. Uh, me, not he. Anyway, welcome. Good to have you with us here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Final day forever. In the month of January, I got that look from poor Miles thinking, what, after 35 years, finally, we're rid of him. Now I'm going to hang around for at least a little bit longer and uh, and always enjoy spending time with you. We're going to do more of that tonight. A little bit later on, did you hear the story out of Byron, Ohio? Pastor that took pity on a group of people that were turned away from a nearby homeless shelter in sub-zero temperatures and just said, we, we can't leave people out on the streets like that. Let's let's invite them in. And so invite them to come in and warm up inside the church. Well, the church has decided that they're violating local zoning laws. The freezing temperatures notwithstanding, they want it to stop. We're going to talk with an area businessman that is getting behind this pastor out of Byron, Ohio. And we'll talk you to um, Peter Demos more about the uh, impact that this gentleman from Ohio is having and why he's been arrested for helping the homeless. Amazing. Uh, let's begin with uh, big issues, though, on the uh, Front burner of headline news. First, Iranian-backed Houthi militias in Yemen say they plan to keep up attacks against the U.S. and British warships in the Red Sea. A spokesman for the militant group saying they're targeting the warships because the U.S. and Britain are, quote, participating in aggression against their country. Meanwhile, the Pentagon reporting that Iranian-backed militia were behind the drone attack that killed three U.S. troops yesterday in Jordan. While Iranian officials denied involvement in the strike. No surprise there. Iran supports and arms militant groups that have been targeting U.S. personnel in the Middle East. And of course, we've seen this behavior against the U.S. and U.S. allies ramp up in the days and weeks since the um, outbreak of hostilities between uh, Hamas and Israel. Let's get an update as to what's going on. Joining me now is Simone Ledeen. Simone, senior fellow with the Strauss Center, former deputy assistant secretary of defense for Middle East policy 
Julian Simone, thank you so much for carving some time out of your busy schedule. It, it seems like everywhere we turn these days, there are wars or proxy wars or ongoing hostilities. And I have to wonder, we look sort of a big picture behind all of this. Most of these attacks, most of this kind of behavior, certainly we know Russia's been on the front burner of that. But are there other casts of characters involved here that are engaging in this behavior? Well, uh, certainly globally, uh, yes, there are. Obviously, in the Middle East, you know, the main the main actor is uh, is Iran, but certainly uh, China is playing a role. Certainly, Russia is playing a role. Um, they're learning a lot from uh, how we are reacting, and there's also the rise of what people are calling. Um, the dark fleet, which is uh, ships that are flying under those flags that are being uh, that are able to pass unmolested through the Red Sea, um, and the Houthis are not attacking them. Give me your sense. Uh, you mentioned at the top of that list, certainly in the Middle East, as Iran. Iran has been a what should we say, a rock in the shoe of America and the West for, my goodness, 45 going on almost 50 years now. And uh, no no attempts so far trying to tame them uh, have been too terribly successful. We saw a couple of uh, hopeful events in the so-called Arab Spring of a few years ago and then a second attempt at a breakout of democracy, both of which were violently crushed by Tehran. When we look at an actor like Iran and um, the rising concerns over nuclear capabilities. We know certainly that uh, much of their talk about, oh, we're just trying to develop a nuclear power program because we we don't want to pollute the atmosphere while they sit on, I think, the second or third largest reserve of oil anywhere in the world. We know that's certainly not believable. But as you look at the role that they play, continuing to be a bad actor, continuing to be an antagonist, getting behind these these proxy attacks, proxy wars, uh, for want of a better term, how do we deal with them? Um, well, you made a number of excellent points. I mean, I would just say uh, as a rock in the shoe of uh, the United States and the West, certainly a very deadly rock. Um, if you look back over the last 50 years, um, you know, we calculated they were responsible for over 600 um, American service members' deaths in Iraq alone. So, um and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people came back uh, wounded, grievously wounded as well. Um, so I think it's important to note that background as we consider, you know, the future. Um, and we are in, uh, in a bind today, I believe, because of our lack of action to this point. We have been quite weak. We have, you know, waited and, and uh, hoped for a new, uh, a new deal um, uh, referencing the uh, the JCPOA, the prior uh, unsigned nuclear deal that the Obama administration had with the Iranian regime, we learned later on that the Iranian regime continued to develop nuclear weapons, even though they had agreed not to. Um, and we believe now are very close to breakout, extremely close to nuclear breakout. Um, and uh, and yes, they have ramped up and are absolutely orchestrating all of these events in the region that are playing out right now. And unfortunately, our um, quite team reactions are being viewed um, 
as an encouragement to keep going and to to keep going in uh, escalatory ways that are increasingly violent, um, as we witnessed, unfortunately, with the uh, the deaths of Sergeant Rivers and Specialist Sanders and Specialist Moffat, uh, most recently in Jordan. So, yeah, they they are um, taking advantage of what they see as an opportunity. Um, the current policy is to their benefit the current u.s policy and so they're just gonna they're gonna keep going as long as they can um as we have not imposed real any real costs on them to this point and certainly that's something that the Biden administration needs to be considering. There's also talk on the table about what kind of military response to um, these recent drone strikes, particularly with the loss of now three U.S. military personnel. Um, you know, it, it's always difficult. I don't care what the persuasion of the administration is when you're dealing with a country like Iran and you never know to what degree they've developed nuclear capabilities and you know that they certainly have allegiances, alliances that have been formed with other nuclear powers, even if, if Iran doesn't directly have that capability. We know that that uh, allies of theirs, like North Korea, like Russia, even China, certainly do. How calculated do we need to be when we talk about a military response to, for example, this most recent case of the drone attacks? I mean, is it better to take an approach through sanctions? Do sanctions at the end of the day really have that much of a sting? Well, I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, it does in the long term. But it's it, uh, sanctions... Um, are not a short-term, uh, it, it doesn't bring you a different kind of short-term end state. You, you levy sanctions for long-term results. And I think um, in the last administration during the, um, there was a very, uh, there was a very strict sanctions program and it demonstrably weakened the Iranian regime. They, they were struggling to be able to pay their proxies. And now, of course, they, they are flush. Um, so that, that did help to deter them. But um, unfortunately, and, and I agree with you, I mean, we are, we are at a point where um, action is needed. But I just, I'd like to remind you and your listeners that there is a really active um, resistance inside of Iran. And every so often it flares up and you see exactly how many people, how many you know, of Iranian citizens are actually opposed to the regime, opposed to what they're doing, building uh, nuclear weapons, opposed to what they're doing, you know, fomenting violence across the region. They want peace with their neighbors. Um, there's, there's many indications of this. And I don't think that our current policy is really taking that into consideration. We're really looking at it through an either or lens. You know, either we, we do nothing or we have these kind of defensive responses that are viewed at, um, as a, you know, encouragement to continue or, you know, let's launch uh, let's launch attacks inside of Iran and start a massive conflagration. Um, I don't, you know, my view, neither of those is a good, uh, will lead to a good outcome and the outcome that we want. 
so I think I hope that there are people in the administration who are trying to who are thinking creatively about this. But I I do worry because the conversation in Washington is very black and white right now. Yeah, and the problem, of course, is this is a very fluid set of circumstances, and there are so many various minor and major players involved here that it really takes, I think, a, a significant deft touch, uh, particularly since there are other players, allies of ours like Israel, that are facing their own challenges at this time. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a bit about deterrence and, and whether or not policies up to this point have really helped to keep Iran in check. Some, I think, might argue probably, obviously not. And whether or not the U.S. withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal a few years ago has helped or hindered the circumstances. We're visiting today with Simone Ledeen, senior fellow with the Strauss Center. Limon was a former deputy assistant secretary of defense for Middle East policy. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to our discussion, our conversation today, taking a look at the events unfolding in the Middle East since October the 7th of last year. 157 attacks on U.S. assets, most recently the tragic loss of life with three members of the United States military, the subject of a drone attack. It appears as if Iran is behind all of this. Uh, We add to it all of the events going on with attacks against both the British and U.S assets there in the Red Sea, the Houthi behind it, certainly getting a lot of motivation undoubtedly uh, through the country of Yemen. You've got to also wonder what other bad actors in, including Syria that may be involved and, and perhaps others still. And undoubtedly there might even be a little bit of participation from um, enemies of ours in nations like Iraq and undoubtedly Iran. We're visiting today with Simone Ledeen, Senior Fellow at the Strauss Center and also the uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Middle East Policy. And I'm curious, from your viewpoint, Simone, I made reference before the break about the United States withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal. I know that the motivation uh, by President Trump at the time was, well, it didn't appear as if Iran was sticking to the deal to begin with, so why bother? But at the end of the day, losing that ability to have checks and balances as fragile or perhaps inconsistent as they may be, in your opinion, looking back, hindsight uh, being twenty twenty and all that, was it ultimately the right thing to do, or has it, in some way, been, in your opinion, contributory to some of the issues that we're having with Iran behaving like this now? Well, you asked a very uh, a very good question, um, and there are there are a lot of feelings about uh, about this on all sides. Um, my personal opinion is that. You know, I like to see the world as it is, not as I wish it could be. And the world as it was at that time was exactly as you said. You know, they were not sticking to uh, what they had agreed to uh, to do. And there were already um, a severe, there was already um, a severe lack of checks and balances. And uh, so we weren't really getting anything out of it. Um, and it really stymied our ability to respond um, because when we make an agreement, we do actually stick to the terms. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it was not useful to the United States. 
Um, and it did not get us anything at the end of the day. And so I do support President Trump's uh, leaving the uh, JCPOA. And also I would like to say that that was never a, a real deal. Nobody ever signed it. Um, so, uh, but uh, there are still a lot of feelings. When I served in the Pentagon during the Trump administration, there were a lot of bureaucrats who worked in that space who were very, very angry at President Trump for having made that decision. But um, I do still today think it was it was the right one. And this road, we were always going to go down, unfortunately. Yeah, and as I mentioned at the get-go, we're looking at a 45-year going towards 50 history of an antagonistic relationship with Tehran. Uh, Clearly, they've been the instigator from the very get-go, for those of us old enough to remember uh, the 400-plus day hostage crisis that uh, began under the the tail end of the Jimmy Carter administration. And uh, their uh, their pot-stirring in that part of the world has never ceased, and uh, their violence, of course, not only metered out against neighboring countries, but certainly even against their own people. Looking at this big picture, um, I asked earlier about or referred earlier to uh, the the deterrent so far. Has any of the attempts to try to sort of keep Iran in line uh, seen any degrees of success? And if not, based on your insight and years of experience in this arena, what do you think we should be doing? What should the approach to Iran be to try to discourage them from this kind of behavior? Um, So I think today it's clear that our our actions, which have been purely defensive until now, have not worked uh, in terms of reestablishing deterrence we do not we we have not established deterrence in fact we have lost we have lost the uh deterrent power that we had so um and and a major red line was crossed i mean we cannot allow uh, a foreign military to kill american troops and not respond we just can't uh obviously so so we must respond um and uh the question now uh, is on the table of what what does that look like? What does that response look like? um, In my view, and we're not in this alone. I mean, obviously, you have numerous uh, Iranian proxies uh, messing about in the region. And um, obviously, Hamas is a Iranian proxy. And, you know, one could argue whether or not they push the button on the October 7th attacks, but we certainly know that now they are they are pulling the strings uh, on what Hamas is doing. Um, so that's an important element to all of this. And then we also have, you know, the Houthis disrupting global commerce in the Red Sea. And, uh, and then obviously we have Hezbollah um, waiting in the wings in Lebanon onto the north of Israel. Um, and a lot of people think that's uh, you know that that's a, a, a war that is that is coming. Um, so, what do we do in the face of this? What do we? How do we, the United States, protect our interests? I think first and foremost, um, we should be working with our allies, like um, the United Kingdom and Israel specifically, to share um, targeting information uh, regarding Iran's weapons depots and their training camps in 
the region, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen. Um, we should have a coalition discussing the uh, potential targets and actioning those targets. Um, at the end of the day, we have to destroy, uh, we should destroy, but we absolutely must cripple Iran's ability to continue leveraging these proxies to fight on its behalf. Um, I think that Iran in the past has been very willing to um, throw its proxies into the fire and not really react to that. Um, and so I don't, I believe at this point um, that it's not guaranteed that that's an escalatory act. And I think that simply responding as we have with, you know, uh, just deterring or disrupting these attacks. Like we have, you know, in the last 24 hours, there were two attacks by the Houthis against uh, the U.S. Navy, um, against two American destroyers in the region. Um, so we intercepted both of those, but those are defensive actions. Those are not deterrent actions. So we have to get their attention and we have to make this stop. And we can't. We, we need to make sure that we don't lose any more Americans in this. And it, it's going to take a big act like the one I described to to get their attention. Unfortunately, at this point, we've let it get to this point. Is the notion of and I, and I, I believe at this point, you know, within reason, there really should be nothing off the table. We know that in times past when Iran has misbehaved, one of the few nations in the region um, that has taken decisive action has been Israel. I mean, they have gone in with, with laser accuracy and uh, disabled military targets, um, certainly in the arena of doing all that we can to uh, shut down nuclear capabilities of Iran. I think that's a wise idea. I know there's always a concern about, oh my gosh, here we go again and after multiple years of being involved in the the war there in uh, uh, neighboring Iraq, now we're potentially talking about Iran. I don't, would never think that uh, boots on the ground would ever be a smart thing to do, um, but is there any scenario in your mind, Simone, and final question, where um, an attack on military targets to send a message to Iran would be appropriate? I think that um, the military targets outside of Iran that I described, um, you know, I I advocate for that and not, not military action inside of Iran for the simple reason that well, the Iranian people, by and large, would be with us unless we attacked inside the country. I mean, they have, as I, as I noted, every so often there are eruptions within the population. Tens of thousands of people have protested this regime and we need to, we need to be supporting them. We need to be funding them. We need to be sending them, you know, whatever they need, communications equipment, whatever, whatever they need. You know, we have experience um, in our past, uh, you know, the United States has a history of working with some of these, uh, you know, rebel or insurgent groups. We should be supporting the protesters inside of Iran and not attacking inside of Iran because it will turn the people against us. And right now they're not against us. They're against the regime. So I think we should leverage that and uh, and not make the mistake that we've made uh 
you know, over and over and over again. Let's please learn something this time. Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, we've had a somewhat sketchy track record in terms of understanding and identifying who our enemies are and who our who our allies are, as well as sometimes a bit of a sketchy approach to addressing issues like this. And I think you're right. At the end of the day, the Iranian people have proven that there is enough understanding as to the circumstances they are facing. They know that they don't have real freedoms. They know that their economy is suffering. They know that this is all at the hands of the, the Ayatollah and the religious zealot leadership in Tehran. And, of course, the one thing that they're up against is the, the ability of Tehran to crush um, any kind of rebellion. <laughs> so everything that we can be doing um, from a distance to help encourage and support and be behind um, the Iranian people to address the problem for themselves is probably ultimately the uh, the most effective way of addressing this ongoing challenge. Simone Ledeen, Senior Fellow at the Strauss Center, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Middle East Policy. Simone, thank you much, so much for your time and insights today. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We often, certainly on this program during the holiday season, but throughout the year, we'll focus on the plight of the homeless, exacerbated certainly during cold times of the year when oftentimes uh, shelters become full and temperatures drop to life-threatening levels. And that's not only true in parts of um, California and the San Francisco Bay Area, but imagine, imagine back in the Midwest or on the the East Coast when temperatures can drop into freezing routinely overnight, or we see temperatures in the teens and 20s regularly. You ever think about what happens to people that call the street home? I'm using my air quotes here. Sadly, oftentimes, if they are unable to find shelter in a traditional shelter, they will do the best that they can to make it out on the street. And sadly, oftentimes, many succumb to hypothermia because of freezing temperatures. Such was the case in Byron, Ohio, in the central part of the country. And um, there, one pastor noted that a number of people had been turned away from a neighboring shelter very near uh, his church and decided, you know, with temperatures in um, sub-zero or sub-freezing temperatures, as they are, by the way, predicted even for tonight, uh, the temperatures in Byron are going to get down into the uh, low 30s, even as low as 30 degrees. He decided that something had to be done. And so on a temporary basis, he opened his church to allow people to come in out of the cold when they found that the local shelter was full. He would think, wow, a city should celebrate individuals that are willing to go that far to help meet needs that clearly even a government's resources are unable to address. Sadly, though, in the least in the city of Byron, Ohio, that would not be the case. Let's get more now. Peter Demos is the president of the board of directors, chair of the board of directors, rather, for the Rutherford County Chamber of Commerce, president of the Tennessee Hospitality Association, also president and CEO of Demos Brands and Demos Family Kitchen. And he joins us now by phone. And uh, Peter, thank you so much for being with us. I- I'm curious, how did the plight of Dad's Place Church in Byron, Ohio, first get on your own radar screen. Well, I, I thank you very much for for having me on, but also for uh, uh, addressing this topic because I think it's very important to, to discuss. 
I wrote a book uh, recently called On the Duty of Christian Civil Disobedience, and it's when, as Christians, do we have a duty to disobey laws? And so when I, when I heard about this, um, I, I heard about the news story, and so I started reading more and more about it um, to, to find out a little bit more of the facts, to find out did he kind of fit within that criteria of being a Christian and saying, no, I'm not going to follow these particular laws. And he did, and he seems like he's followed it completely. And in doing so, <laughs> instead of the local city leadership saying, yeah, boy, you know, we're so glad to have people like you that are willing to do this. And, you know, yeah, we understand that there are rules and regulations. But when we're talking about circumstances where literally lives hang in the balance, instead of saying, hey, let's make a way to make sure that everybody survives. Instead, the city of Byron, Ohio, has taken a decidedly different turn. Tell me what they have been doing and and why, beyond obviously the humanitarian concerns, that, that you find this particularly troubling. Well, you know, first of all, you know, first of all, they, what they were starting to do was they were actually fining him for, you know, zoning violations. So they're like, and the, and the big issue was, it's not even necessarily that he was even housing people, and I don't know if it was the number of people, but he was housing people where they were sleeping and eating on the first floor where their zoning would allow residency or, um, or multi-family residence on a, on a second floor or above. And so that was one of the issues that was there. And so when he first got it, he contacted the mayor, he contacted other officials, and they didn't respond. They didn't respond at all, and, in, and and the only response he did was every single day that he's decided to keep it open, then he's continuing to get fined. And so, so, so where I find this is where I find this just just amazing on it though from this from this pastor. I mean, I can focus on the city and say, look, you know, they, you know, it, it would be different if they called, look, we're going to try to work this out. There might be some fire issues. There could be, I mean, and they can try to you know settle it or work it out, you know, but. But what's amazing is they keep doing this. And how many people do you know that would have folded immediately and just said, well, you know, guys, y'all are going to have to get on the street. And I'm really sorry, but I just can't afford to keep paying these fines. And and he didn't. He's like, no, this is right. And, and unfortunately, I'm just going to have to keep going until, you know, and, and, and until I can no longer, you know, until I can no longer do it. And, and it's just incredible. And to me, it's an incredible story of somebody who's standing up saying, this is what is right, and what is right doesn't always match what is legal. Yeah, uh, very good point. And I think the ability for people to tell or know the differences or at least have the capacity to say, hey, uh, you know, we get the fact that there might be rules and regulations in place. But at the end of the day, trying to protect lives has really got to be uh, first and foremost our our number one priority. And the fact that that has not been the attitude of. of city leadership there in Byron is 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 pretty disturbing considering the fact that this pastor is going out of his way and putting himself at risk. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're spending extra money in, in heating and lighting costs. Undoubtedly, they have to have people coming either on staff or maybe from the, the parish to, to volunteer to, to help out and, and keep an eye on things and, and, and whatnot. So the inability for the folks there at City Hall to even capture the severity of what what's going on 
on here is very troubling. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm looking here at monthly climate averages for Byron. And historically, during the months of January and February, the temperatures in Byron can reach as low as 21 degrees Fahrenheit. We're, we're talking about people dying from hypothermia. And yet that reality is seemingly lost on city fathers. Well, you know, and, and we saw, we, we see what happened in Kansas City with the, the three men, the mysterious men that kind of died in the guy's backyard because they, they froze to death and there may be some drugs involved, et cetera. And it made national news. But if this preacher, had, had this pastor had let these people out and say, okay, city, you're right. How many more than three would have died and no one would know it because they're homeless? They're, they're, a, they're a, a throwaway part of the population. And, and unfortunately, the city is seeing it that way instead of doing their responsibility of taking care of all their citizens in some form or fashion. And what, what bothers me the most is, is they didn't even bother to pick up the phone and call him. They didn't even just say, OK, look, we can work this out and try to find a solution because ultimately they're, they'd be working together for the common good. But they just said, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep finding you. And now the city is doubling down and we're now, I think it's up to 18 or 19 violations. I mean, they're, they're, they're now just hitting it over and over and over again. And, and I, it, it's almost like pride has gotten into their, into their way and they're forgetting about human life. And they, and they just seem to forget that all rights, all freedoms are all based off of our, our fundamental right to life. And, you know, there was a article that appeared recently in USA Today that talked about not only the alarming rate of the growth of homelessness with the challenges that we've been facing in the economy and parts of the country, certainly like my own here in the San Francisco Bay region with significant housing shortages, and, and, and especially so when it comes to affordable housing. I mean, unless you're earning 250000 dollars a year and the average bear out there isn't it's it's a challenge but when you see that municipality after municipality across the country are saying that churches are violating zoning laws by providing food and shelter these are roles historically peter that have always been part of what the church does you know jesus himself said the poor you will have with you always and and talked about the importance of charity and caring for the least of these. I mean, when you talk about this, in my mind, and we can dive into this in depth after the break, but it seems to me that on the surface, we're not only talking about the argument that somehow a municipality is finding a church that's violating, quote unquote, zoning laws, and therefore we have to punish you, which is also a convenient way to uh, fill the uh, the city coffers. But at the end of the day, they're also in, in these attempts to try and shut churches down from helping the homeless seem to be violating one of the most fundamental of religious responsibilities and rights, if we can call it that, that any church has, and that is to care for the least of these. Let me pause on that point because I don't want to cut Peter off. If you just joined us, Peter Demos is with us today. Peter, by the way, is the chairman of the board for the Rutherford County Chamber of Commerce, president of the Tennessee Hospitality Association, but he's also a businessman. He is the president and CEO of Demos Brands and Demos Family Kitchen. The story of what's happening to this one pastor in particular um, 
Um, the senior pastor of Dad's Place, a church in Byron, Ohio, has caught his attention and ought to really capture the attention of all of us. Because believe me, this scenario of a church being attacked by city leadership simply because it's doing the right thing is more and more, not the exception, but sadly, tragically, becoming the rule. We'll talk more as our conversation with Peter Demos continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I want to bring this discussion closer to home because we here in the Bay Area have got a a particular and peculiar stake in this subject matter. Um, We're here at the start of February. Have you gotten your PG&E bill for the month of January yet? How about them apples? Uh, On average, Bay Areans are paying a minimum of 290 on average. If we're talking about people that are in a you know ranch style um, single family home, 294 dollars for lighting and heating alone. That doesn't include your garbage bill. That doesn't include your water bill, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 294 dollars, and we know uh, according to research that's been released recently by Harvard University just last week, indicating that. More than half of American renters can no longer afford their monthly rent bill. Add to that the outrageous cost of things like heating and lighting, where people oftentimes in communities like the Bay Region are having to decide, well, do I pay the rent, keep a roof over my head, or pay the electric light bill? Or uh, do we uh, just toss a coin when it comes to the medications that we buy? These issues, of course, are combining to force more and more people on the streets. And then, sadly, when the church steps in to help, communities like Byron, Ohio, said, oh, yeah, but wait a minute, though, you can't do that. We know that it's cold, but, you know, you're violating zone laws. And, of course, a convenient way to also stuff some city... Uh, coffer pockets as well. Peter Demos is with us. This has been uh, a hotbed issue for him. Peter's on the board of directors for the Rutherford County Chamber of Commerce, Tennessee Hospitality Association. He's also the president and CEO of Demos Brands and Demos Family Kitchen Foods. And uh, Peter, the notion of seeing churches that are being punished here, and, and, and while it might be one thing for the argument by City Hall to say, well, you're violating our ordinances here, the zoning laws and, and whatnot, isn't there a broader violation taking place in the direction of the municipality towards churches, essentially preventing churches from doing one of the things that has been foundational to what the church has done for time and memoriam? Absolutely. And and when you go back into the Bible, and you go all the way back to Exodus, you know, the midwives were there to help the, the, the Hebrew women to give birth. And they were ordered to not do it. You know, they were ordered to, to, to make certain that they were, uh, that it just didn't happen. And then they would lie. They would do it anyway. They violated Pharaoh's laws, which is tremendously worse than the, than the officials of Byron, Ohio. And they would violate that law. And they would say, and they would lie and say, well, you know, they came too quick. There's no difference between what happened then and what's happening now. It's just a different culture, different time period. But that's all they were doing. They were doing their job to help preserve life. And now we are seeing this this pastor who's doing the exact same thing and saying, I'm just going to help preserve life and make certain that, that life is, is, is over. Because, again, everything 
stems from life. If you're not dead, you have no rights. There's no freedom when you're dead. There's no, you know, the, the, all the stuff. I can't pay taxes if I'm dead. I can't know. Everything that stems, stems from the fact you're alive. Everything is based off of there. But God's provision for you all is based off of our lives. And so whenever we, are, we sanctify life above all else, then, 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 then it goes from there. But they're clearly not looking at it from that aspect. They're looking at it only from the aspect of, well, again, you committed the violation. You know, I don't know if they're doing it because they're trying to raise money or, or trying not to yeah, raise money through, through finding the church. I, like I said, at some point in time, it becomes like a like an issue of control and power. And we see governments do that whenever they... Whenever, when, if they're not governed by principles, they're going to have to govern by power. And clearly, this is a government that is not governed by principles, and so they're going to have to govern by power. And I think that's where the distinction is. And we see examples of that all throughout the country in all little different ways. Yeah, and I read recently that uh, there was a surprise visit by the um, fire marshal or uh, um, the fire chief who conducted an inspection of the church and came back and said, well, we found uh, 18 either code violations or deficiencies which need to be addressed. The church went back and they were able to successfully, inside of a one-week period of time, address 13 of the 18. And instead of the city coming back and saying, kudos, good job, by the way, you're doing part of our job. We appreciate the help. Let us see if we can maybe come up with some city funds that will help you uh, close the gap here or at least give you a little bit more uh, wiggle room uh, because you're literally stepping into the gap to help people that are literally facing life and death circumstances meaning being out in, in freezing cold temperatures. No, instead, the, the city essentially doubled down. And it, it reminds me of the observation of one who looked at this scenario and said that effectively, had this has been 2,000 years ago, and instead we were talking of, of Byron, Ohio, we were talking about Bethlehem, undoubtedly officials would have put the innkeeper in jail for offering the manger to Mary and Joseph because it didn't have enough room in the inn, and of course wasn't zoned for residency, and didn't meet the fire code so they would have the the, the innkeeper would have wound up in jail ah. i mean you know <laughs> i didn't even draw that comparison that's awesome i mean you know you know you're you're absolutely again you're absolutely correct i i just i i keep seeing this as a situation where the government is sitting there saying i mean you got to think about it if the government is not job is not there to protect life then what is the purpose of what the government is doing right now? The only thing that I can draw the conclusion of is that they are that they are wanting to do it for more power and for control. Because if they allow somebody to break to, to break their laws or go against their wishes, even if it's for the greater benefit, even if it's for a benefit that they're supposed to be doing, the only reason why I can see why anybody would ever do such a thing like that is because they don't want anybody to ever say you know, I'm above the law and that, or I'm above me as the mayor or me as the zoning director or whatever the, the, their title is. Well, and and it's it really is shameful because it is prohibiting the church from being able to essentially discharge its responsibilities as outlined in Scripture. And sadly, tragically, city fathers apparently, at least in the community of Byron, Ohio, instead of saying kudos, thank you for helping us serve the people, the residents of this community, and we only wish we had more churches that were willing to step up to the plate and do things like this. No, instead, they come up with ways 
to try and derail uh, the efforts and shut things down because, you know, they can and because they want to show that they're in charge. And uh, I've got to believe that there's also a dose of uh, good old fashioned, hey, we get a lot of money out of all the, the penalties and fines from this, too. Well, Peter, we appreciate you coming on today and uh, God bless you for uh, your heart on this subject matter. And I, and I would hope that there would be other um, professional people and community leaders all over the country that would look at this and recognize, you know, but for the grace of God, there go we. And to do more to raise attention to uh, these kinds of scenarios, because, you know, literally we are facing life and death circumstances, particularly this time of the year. And for local municipalities to behave this way is absolutely shameful. Well, again, thank you so much. And again, I would encourage everyone who's listening to this to to recognize that we have to stand for a principle and we can always stand for that and Christ will honor us for that. So thank you again for raising issues to this matter. You bet. We appreciate your time as well. There's Peter Demos, chairman and president of Demos Brands and Demos Family Kitchen. By the way, you can check out what he's up to online at Peter Demos, D-E-M-O-S, PeterDemos.org. That's PeterDemos.org. It's, uh, wow. And you, when you think about it, and I, did I share with you? I think I did. Temperatures, January, February average in that part of the world. We're talking about Byron, Ohio, up there near the Great Lakes, right? Not too, not too far from there. Uh, the overnight lows can reach 21 degrees, 22 degrees on average. Doesn't start to quote unquote warm up until you get into April. And even at April, their overnight temps are in the 40s. Let me remind you that water freezes at 32 degrees. Apparently that's important to kids that learn the temperature at which water freezes in junior high school science classes. But to the city fathers of Byron, Ohio, our zoning codes, they're more important. Wow, wow, wow. Well, you know, part of the issue here, too, is uh, cities that care more about their income than they care about the people. We've seen that recently, haven't we, in Union City? City fathers over there care more about bringing in income into the city coffers. They don't care whether they're (laughs) increasing crime and ruining the quality of life. But, wow, we can make money off a pot. It gives us more money to build a statue for the mayor in town square. By the way, those of you that are long-time residents of Union City, don't think that won't happen or won't be tried at the end of this year. Because I bet they'll absolutely try to do it. Wow. All right. Six o'clock from KFAX. When we come back, a very special visit. Dave Wilson from Family Life Today joins us as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.